Welcome to A Shower of Roses. I'm Jenna, your host. On this podcast, we read together the readings for the upcoming Sunday Mass in the Roman Catholic Church, so that when you walk into Mass on Sunday, you feel enlightened and empowered with the knowledge of the Gospel that you need to have a meaningful and personal experience with Christ every week. I'm Catholic, but you certainly don't have to be to listen to this podcast. The Gospel is for anyone, anywhere, at any state of life. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. This is the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time, September 29th, 2019. Really quick before we get into the readings, first I wanted to say hi, and thanks for tuning in and being a faithful listener. And if this is your first time listening, hi, thanks for joining us. Um, Just so everyone knows, a little fun fact, I recently put out an article with Blessed Is She, the devotional. If you haven't heard of it, they're doing amazing work. Definitely check them out. Um, And you can find the link to that article on my website, which is a shower of roses podcast.com slash blog. And that'll give you the link to that article if you'd like to read it and share it with a friend. Um, It's just about the mass and how I think people um, have lost some of the joy of the mass and the you know, the wonder and awe of Jesus and the cross. And so, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. So let's jump into the readings for this week without further ado. The first reading is from the book of Amos, chapter 6, verse 1a and verses 4 to 7. Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, Woe to the complacent in Zion, lying upon beds of ivory, stretched comfortably on their couches, They eat lambs taken from the flock, and calves from their stall. Improvising to the music of the harp, like David, they devise their own accompaniment. They drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the best oils, yet they are not made ill by the collapse of Joseph. Therefore, now they shall be the first to go into exile, and their wanton revelry shall be done away with. So just let's set the context here. Amos is a prophet, but he's not a prophet that we hear about a lot. So some of you might be unfamiliar with him. I'm just going to read the introduction to the book of Amos um, straight straight out of the Bible. So Amos is a sheep breeder and a prophet, and he is um, a prophet during the time that the kingdom is of uh, the kingdom of the Holy Land is split in two. So he's preaching in the Northern Kingdom. Um, And the Northern Kingdom is doing pretty well at this point that he's prophesying. Um, There's a lot of very wealthy people, as you can tell in this this prophecy, um, and people that kind of need to be humbled. The word that I get as I'm reading this is... um, is like wastefulness, and the and the introduction says here, um, Amos denounces the hollow prosperity of the northern kingdom. So he's denouncing uh, the wastefulness and the wealth of those in the north. So he's challenging the hypocrisy and the injustice of the fact that the north has all this wealth and luxury, 
and they're not sharing it with anyone else. So Amos's big theme is the fact that we need to be giving to the poor and not keep all of our wealth to ourselves. So going back to the reading itself, um, this is one of Amos's three woes in the book. He has three woes. This is the third one. Woe to the complacent in Zion. So that word complacent is something for us to definitely reflect on. Where are those places in our lives or in our faith lives where we're getting complacent? The thing with Amos's imagery here, it's so beautiful because it's it's something that anyone hearing this would be like, oh my gosh, that's that's me. I can totally relate to that. Um, again, this life of like luxury and comfort. These people are stretched comfortably on their couches. Um, and they eat the lambs taken from the flock and calves from the stall. So that just gives you that image of laziness. There's not, no one's going out to hunt. They're just eating the, the, the animals that they have like right there, just easy to find, which is a problem. Um, and then he says, they shall be the first to go into exile. So that kind of reminds me of Jesus's teaching of the first shall be last and their last shall be first. Um, that these people in their wealth and in their overabundance and in their laziness and complacency, that's the big word as well, that the tables will turn and that the North is not always going to be this land of prosperity. read the second reading, which is the first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. But you, man of God, pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Compete well for the faith. Lay hold of eternal life, to which you were called, when you made the noble confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you before God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who gave testimony under Pontius Pilate for the noble confession, to keep the commandment without stain or reproach, until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the blessed and only ruler will make manifest at the proper time the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unreproachable light, and whom no human being has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. So in case you don't know who Timothy is, he is a convert to uh, the faith, and Paul is the one that converts him. So Paul is credited with writing this letter to Timothy. This is the first of his two letters to Timothy. And the message here, I think, is being steadfast in the faith. Um, Paul suggests, I love these, these virtues, Pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And then he says this line, compete well for the faith. That's a line that I've been thinking about mulling over because I don't know what that means. Is our faith a competition? I don't think so. I think more so it's a competition within our, within our own hearts and our own selves to, you know, when you're in a competition, you never you don't get lazy. You don't get complacent. Again, going back to that, that key word from the first reading, um, 
you know, when you're competing, you're always active. You're trying harder and you're trying to win. And I think Paul's saying, treat your life like a competition, even if there's no one person that you're competing against. We should never get lazy in the fight, never get lazy in the faith. Paul's uh, makes an interesting statement here at the end. He says, keep the commandment without stain of reproach until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. So furthering and confirming that, that, you know, Christian Catholic belief that we have that Christ will return at the end of time. Scholars say that, that the first apostles thought that Jesus was going to return soon, like in, very much in their lifetime. So that's what kind of Paul is referencing here. But even though he didn't, come back as soon as they thought. All these lessons, I think that's the most beautiful thing about Paul's letters is that the lessons are so universal. And and when we read them, I mean, when I read the letters, the epistles in the New Testament, I just find so much substance in them because I find them so, so very much timeless. Lastly, our gospel this week is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and from the netherworld, where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. He cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames." Abraham replied, My child, remember that you received what was good during your lifetime, while Lazarus likewise received what was bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are in torment. Moreover, between us and you a great chasm is established, to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours, or from your side to ours. He said, Then I beg you, Father, Send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, O no, father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then Abraham said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. Oh, this is a great parable. So this is, um, I always think of the movie Godspell when I read this, uh, this, this parable. You should definitely watch the scene uh, from it if you, if you haven't before. But we have the parable of the rich man. I love, love, love that Jesus names the poor man Lazarus because Lazarus is his friend's name. We know he has his friend named Lazarus, and we'll talk about why that's important in this story in one second. Um, but it's kind of funny, like if you were just to make up a fictional story and then name the main character after your best friend, uh, I love that. 
that image because there's a good chance that Lazarus was listening to Jesus as he was telling this parable. So uh, Lazarus is a poor man and he um, used to come to uh, the poor, the rich man's house uh, every day and, and kind of hope that the rich man would give him some of the scraps. Um, the interesting thing in this story is that Lazarus is named. Jesus gives the poor man a name. The rich man is never named. Very interesting. Again, furthering that, that idea that the first shall be last, the last shall be first. To Jesus, the name of the rich man, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't deserve that identity. It's the poor man that gets named in this story, even though he never really talks. Okay, so the poor man dies and he is taken up to heaven and rests in the bosom of Abraham. It's interesting to me in this story that Jesus makes the, the heavenly figure, not God the Father, but Abraham um, of the Old Testament. There might be a few reasons for that. It could be because, number one, since this is a parable, he wants to give the godly figure a human face, just like last week when we read the parable of the prodigal son. Um, you know, the godly figure is the father, but he doesn't say, you know, God. He just calls him a father. So that's part of it is that he wants to give it more of a human uh, face so that we can relate to it more. But also I think that um, Abraham was someone in his life who, you know, suffered for a long time because him and his wife Sarah couldn't have children. And then, you know, in his old age, when he's when he thinks he's, you know, near, reached the end of his life, God gives him so much more than he could ever imagine. So similar to the poor man in this story, he gets, you know, he gets the best of it because the poor man in the story gets to go to heaven. Um, and then the rich man, when he dies, uh, is in torment in hell. That's really important. It's not like he's just in a black hole with nothing. He's in torment, physical, some sort of real pain. Um, and so he just doesn't get it. He says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames. In his mind, he is still better than the poor man. He's expecting Abraham to send Lazarus to him to cool off his tongue for him, to be his servant. He's not getting this at all. So then Abraham says, uh, that's not how it's going to work because uh, now Lazarus is in comfort and you are tormented. Not only that, but there's this chasm, a divide between heaven and hell. That's a really important part of our, of our Catholic teaching is that um, you can't get out of hell and you, and you can't leave hell and you can't leave heaven. Um, both of those are what we would call eternal judgment places. Uh, and so that's, that's eternal. That's eternal, which is why our actions on earth are so important and they matter so much. Um, and so the rich man says, fine, if I can't save myself, at least go and warn my brothers so that they won't have to suffer this way. And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets, listen to them. So total callback to our first reading where Amos is giving us all these warnings and saying, if you don't stop being complacent and wasteful, you are going to be the first nation to fall. And then Abraham says, okay, but if, if they see Lazarus, you know, risen from the dead, then surely they'll believe. Now that's why Jesus naming this 
character Lazarus is so important because, you know, if you know scripture, if you've heard this story before, Jesus's friend Lazarus is absolutely going to be risen from the dead. He's dead for three days and then Jesus um, brings him back to life. So that's why it's really interesting and some foreshadowing here that Jesus names this character Lazarus. I think that the main point of this story is that a lot of the time we we need like a, a lightning bolt to hit us before we make change in our life. Like, you know, you hear stories of people that have near-death experiences and then come to know God and come to convert, and that's fantastic and awesome and praise God for that. Um, but we should ask ourselves the question, do I really need a near-death experience to get me to think about what I'm doing with my life and what I want out of my life and where I want to spend eternity. We shouldn't have to see someone rise from the dead. We shouldn't have to, uh, you know, see heavens open like in this parable for us to, to us to stop and think about, am I living my, my life in a way that is pleasing to God? Am I living my life in a way that, um, that he's going to be proud of me and that when I die, I know where I'm going. I know I'm not going to end up like, like the rich man, you know, at worst, hopefully I'll spend some time purgatory purified and then on my way to heaven. Um, it really shouldn't be a surprise to us where we're going when we die. And so if I haven't been living my life that way, I got to go to confession again, same messages last week. We got to get ourselves to the confessional and get on that, that clean slate and be open with ourselves and with God and own up to our to our baggage and to our sin. But we shouldn't have to wait for these like aha, life-changing near-death experiences for us to take God seriously and take death seriously. You know, we are going to die someday. We shouldn't have to almost die to realize that. So we need to start living in such a way that we're remembering that fact. You know, that's a big phrase that that religious use a lot, remember your death. Um and there, you'll hear of stories of like nuns and, and priests who have skulls like on their bedstands or on their desks. And it's not meant to be morbid, but it's, it's that sign to remember the fact that you are going to die someday. So, you know, if Jesus comes back tonight, are you ready? Are you ready to die? Um, are you detached from your material items? Like Amos is saying in the first reading, um, have you been to confession? If you have mortal sin on your conscience... When are you getting yourself to confession so that you can get rid of it? Um, so that we're, when we go to bed every night, we are, we are ready to die. We remember the fact that we're going to die someday. So not to end this on a super morbid note, but, but it's important to think about because we are not immortal. And I think sometimes a lot of our generation thinks that we are, and that's, that's not the case. So we got to start remembering the fact that we're going to die and living our life in such a way. Um, so my challenge for you this week is to not be complacent. I think that's my, that's my takeaway from all three of these readings. Don't get complacent in where you are in your faith, in your behavior, and in your sin. Ask yourself every day before you go to bed, you know, do that examination of conscience. Am I ready to die tonight? Am I, have I lived my life in such a way that when I die, I know where I'm going? Um, and if not, then we got to get ourselves ready and we can't wait for that lightning bolt to strike us in the head or for us to nearly fall off a cliff. Um, this I'm giving you, <laughs> let this be your, uh, your near death experience that reminds you that 
that you are going to die someday. And so we can't get complacent. We have to be aware of that and we have to be living our lives in such a way that we're ready when the time comes. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. And it would be awesome if you could give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Those ratings help us get this message of the gospel out to as many people as possible. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at A Shower of Roses and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash A Shower of Roses podcast. You can also check out A Shower of Roses podcast.com for more information about the show or to send us an email or feedback. We'll see you back here next Wednesday. God bless you and have a great week. Carry your word as you can.